Okay, well, it's great to be together again. And as many of you know, we've been looking loosely in 1 Corinthians, but the the burden of my heart through these sessions, <clears throat> and this is the fourth one on Zoom, and there were seven others before uh, in a rented hall, the burden of my heart really is to talk about the church biblically um, from different perspectives. And we've been loosely moving from the way that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, but we haven't just been staying there. We just haven't been limiting ourselves there. Um, yesterday, uh, I was reflecting, actually in the middle of the night, on uh, one of the stories of the Old Testament, which involves Joseph, who, of course, was a type, a type of the Lord Jesus. And uh, you remember how he was, uh, his history, the way that he came to become second only to Pharaoh in Egypt and how he had been sinned against by his brothers and sold into slavery and how the Lord had been with him and Iron had entered his soul. He had become greatly strengthened and matured and granted much wisdom and understanding. And there was a famine in Egypt. You remember the story. And it's a very wonderful story. It takes up a big chunk of Genesis. It's important. And his brothers come. There are all kinds of subterfuges that um, Joseph employs. And at last, all his brothers come. And uh, they come to find food. And he's wanting to bring them to a, a place of repentance, of of acknowledging what they'd done. There was nothing remotely unpleasant in his attitude or desire to do that. He knew that it would be the only way they could become whole was to be, to realize what they had done. And you may remember that he, once they'd loaded their donkeys up with all the things that they were food they were going to take back to Canaan to their father that Joseph instructed that they should put treasure in the sack of each of them each of them and so all their money their money was put into the sack each sack had money put back into it. And they didn't know 
And they went on their journey, and in the sack of the youngest son, that's the blood brother, the full blood brother of Joseph, in Benjamin's sack, there was not only money, but there was Joseph's own cup, um, a special vessel that belonged to Joseph. And it was put into the sack of Benjamin, son of the right hand. If you're in an Arabic-speaking country and you're in the taxi, he asks which way, Yamin, Yamin, uh, which is right, right, go right. Uh, it's like in Polish, you say, uh, strange. <laughs> Level, <laughs> etc. Anyway, um, you know that uh, Joseph sent his servants to catch them up. There's money in the sack. There's my cup in the sack. There's treasure in the sack. But in the sack of Benjamin, the son of the right hand, there is my cup. What I drink from and what I divine by, a special cup. And, of course, it, there it was. And they all go back to Joseph. And the, the sons, the brothers of, of Joseph had to repent. And there's all sorts of wonderful things that go on. Um, and Joseph weeps over his brothers and he said, it's me, it's me, it's me. And, uh, he, he, he gives them, you know, liberty. It's, they're made free in their hearts. But I wanted to just mention how wonderful it is for the church to have the Lord's cup um, in their sack. Um, it might sound a strange thing to say. The money that was put in their sack, of course, was the money they themselves had brought. But, so they were just getting back what they had brought. But this silver cup was unique. It belonged to Joseph, it was his, and he gave it, there it was in the sack of Benjamin. And if I was to ask you in the types and the figures, the pictures, where these Old Testament stories um, have great meaning for us, have you, have you come to any understanding about the cup of the Lord. Have you come to any understanding of his life in the spirit that is given to the church? That which is his, that which is, th that which he drinks from, uh, that which he himself has on his table and he gives this, he gives it to Benjamin. 
And one of the things that I realize, of course, you, you probably are aware that, um, there's an immeasurable, you know, philosophers and thinkers and teachers, they can philosophize, they measure this and they measure that with words. They explain this. I'm just, I heard the voice of that man um, uh, whose name is Attenborough, who does all these beautiful programs. I don't think I've ever watched one. But on on the creation, though he doesn't believe it's a creation, he believes it all evolved. But, um, you know, all of this um, can be measured. Uh, I, I was reading a little during the week about the Amazon River. I've always known about the Amazon River that uh, I must have read it when I was a boy. This immense amount of water that it pushes out. Um, it's an immense. And so there's a whole area of the Atlantic, which is fresh water. It's not yet mixed with salt water. And there's a very famous story, you may have heard of it, where one of the old sailing vessels um, had become damaged in a storm and it had drifted. Uh, it didn't exactly know where it was. And it had drifted and drifted until they'd run out of water on the vessel and they were dying. Mm -hmm. And then another vessel comes on the scene, sails within their vision, and they cry out, water, water, we need water, we're dying of thirst. Mm -hmm. And the story goes that the people on this vessel said, let down your buckets, let down your buckets because they they didn't realize they drifted into the area where the Amazon spills out its fresh water. And all they had to do, they'd been floating in an area. They drifted into an area where there was fresh water. And all they had to do was dip down their buckets and retrieve the water. And it was drinkable. And, you know, the treasure was right there, the treasure of fresh water. Mm. And the treasure <clears throat> of what the Lord gives us in his cup. And to the Lord, of course, uh, you know, when they try to measure these philosophers, all this, that and the other, in creation, there are two things that man will never measure. One of the things that man will never measure is sin. We will never know, really, the measure of sin. We will never know the measure of it. And the other thing we will never know the measure of 
is eternal life. Life. Now, in the Lord's cup, if you look at it from God's point of view, it's full of blood. Because the measure of sin, of course, it's unmeasurable, but the measure of sin is Calvary. The bloodshed. The blood of Christ. The life of Christ poured out. And <clears throat> that's the immeasurable cost of sin. And we as human beings, um, even being taught of the Spirit, will 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 not know the measure of sin and the measure of his sacrifice and the measure of his pain. We'll never know. Um, it's immeasurable. But neither will we know, you know, for God the cup was his son's blood. But for us, the cup is filled with wine. The wine of his life. It's the same same thing to God, blood, to us, wine. And the thing that I realize, you know, to us, wine, the wine of his life, poured out, given to us in such a way that we can drink it. We can receive it. Take this cup you know we cannot receive the life of god except in the cup that he gives it to us in his own cup and it's his life and you say what's this got to do with the church well very 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 much because you know these two immeasurable things of sin and the cost in his blood the pain that sin caused and Jesus bore the pain God has laid on him the iniquity of us all uh, you know he the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him but we'll never measure, you know, we can drink of his cup, we can have his life. It comes to us by the Spirit as wine, comes to us as wine. And the problem in the churches is we don't know enough about the treasure in our sack. That's our problem. The treasure in our sack. The cup that comes from his table. Where we can sit and drink and eat what is broken to us. The treasure. The, there's a treasure for the church. And, you know, it's so easy to drift away. Perhaps not even be aware 
of this gift of life. Now, last night, I was on another Zoom with, with other people. And I found myself in Romans 8 briefly. And again, so quickened in my heart about this wonderful word, the transformation in Paul as he's writing in 7 and 8 of the book of Romans. And I alluded last night very briefly. I myself have never believed that Romans 7 is is the Christian's testimony. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? I've never believed that, that that is normal Christian life. I believe that normal Christian life is shifting into chapter 8, where the word I, 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 that so floods Romans 7, Self, 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 I, 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 I. If you were to take a little pencil and with your Bible and go through Romans 7, you'll find that the recurrent word is I, I, I. And the man is divided. He's not united. He's split and he, he comes to a place where he says, Oh, I'm, I'm so wretched. I want what's right and I can't do it. Then he comes in to the eighth chapter. I thank God through Jesus Christ. Many of you know these verses. I'm not even reading them. And then he says the spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death, the law of the spirit of life. That's what's in the cup. That's what's in the cup. Life for us. God, life for us. It it required the death. And this is the treasure that's in our sack. This is the the church. This is the water that we are floating on the surface of. And we don't realize that the church must learn to let down its buckets. Excuse me putting it that way, but that's... That's what we must learn to do and drink deep, deep drafts of the spirit. And when I come to the Corinthian church, I realize that when Paul had gone there, he had gone there in the fullness. He was a man who daily was drinking the Lord's cup. You understand that. That's why he was fresh. That's why he was strengthened, though his mortal body was weary, no doubt, at times. He was fresh. The the revelation of truth was in him. But not only was it in him, but it was deepening as he, he had passed through times in his experience earlier. 
of distinct periods of revelation. And if I might say this to those of you who want to and do already minister in the Lord's church and among his people, whether you are young or old, you understand whether you're Polish or American or Canadian or British or Afghan, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you are. You must ask God to open the eyes of your heart and grant to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This is for all of us. And in particular for those who the Lord wants to be his ministers. And he, he wants to unfold the treasure in the sack. You know, it's a tremendous thing, isn't it? That the, the, the brothers came back to Joseph's palace. I presume he had a palace of some sort. And Joseph unveiled himself. I'm your brother. I'm the one that you rejected. Isn't it wonderful if some of you know this story from another perspective? And I believe this, that there will be a time among those from the Jewish nation where they will be brought back somehow and Jesus will say to many in the Jewish nation, I'm your brother. I'm the one that you rejected. I'm the one who you sold into slavery. I'm the one whom you killed. And here's my cup of life for you. Now repent. Oh, you Jews, oh, you brothers of mine, uh, after the flesh. Am I making sense when I, when I say that? You see, there are things to come. You know, he, his love for the Jewish people has not diminished. We live in the time of the Gentiles, where the Gentiles have been grafted in. But I tell you, there are things that lie ahead. How they will come, I do not know. But the Joseph will say, here's my cup. Jesus will say to them, now drink my life. The life that you just rejected and uh, paid such a price of pain. For your rejection, everybody does. That's the, that's the sin, the immeasurable horror of the effects of sin. I look around and, you know, we have a neighbor. Um, I've learned that something a little bit about her, uh, yesterday from her landlord. And I, I uh, she's she's different. He says she's different. Uh, she's broken up with her husband. They were only married a year. And I had noticed, and so had my son-in-law, Chris, who's somewhere, and uh, my daughter, 
that there was this constant stream, stream of young men going to her apartment. <laughs> and uh, it's remarkable. And, you, and you, you know where it's all going to lead to. Sin leads to such pains, doesn't it? And uh, such pains. And the sin of the Jew led to such pains. Awful. And yet the day's going to come where Jesus is going to say, here's my cup. Come on, brethren, you've come back to me. You're going to be grafted in again to all the value of the root. I am the root and the offspring of David. This is Jesus. Wonderful things ahead. Have I said enough to you to make your heart thrill? I hope so. Um, you know, because it's so utterly wonderful. And here's the church. She is manufacturing all kinds of panaceas so often. Uh, she doesn't know the treasure of his cup as she ought. And ask the Lord to open your understanding. And when you come to the Corinthian letter, you find that they'd fallen, hadn't they? They'd slipped away. And I finished last week at the end of the sixth chapter of the first letter of Corinthians, didn't I? Where uh, Paul writes to them in verse 18. Well, Let's let's read this verse. Let's begin at 15 again. Do you not know that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But, verse 17, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Very, very interesting, this is. When were, was I joined to the Lord? In the first instance, of course, I didn't join myself to the Lord. Um, he joined me unto himself. At Calvary, of course, and in his father's heart before that. In eternity, he joined me in his will. He chose and he joined me to himself. And that, that joining had to be worked out when Jesus joined himself to humanity and took on flesh and blood and he he came and he joined himself to sinful man yet without sin himself 
And all of this with, was with the intent of joining. God's purpose is a purpose of joining. Now, in the history of my little life, it was 1966 for me when I was in my early 20s, where the Lord had drawn me to the place where in my experience, he joined me to his body. He joined me and gave me to drink of the cup and I drank the cup of his life in the power of the spirit. And I knew, if I say this to you all again, I, uh, to those on the, in the Zooms, you haven't heard me say this before, but I think I said it in the community hall about two months ago. It is impossible that one set of human terms can possibly do justice to the fullness of what the Lord does when he joins you in your experience to himself and his body. It is impossible. So it is necessary that he employs different sets of terms to say the same thing. So one of the sets of terms he uses is to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you must be born from above. Well, just again, but from above. Anothen, from above. There must be life from above that comes into you. You'll never see the kingdom. You'll never enter the kingdom unless you're born from above. An above life must come into you. An above life. Whereas all the time you, you understand that to Adam and Eve, a beneath life came into them. When they ate that fruit, when they came to that table with the wrong attitudes and they, they fed on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A beneath life entered into them. Are you understanding me? A beneath life. It came from a beast. It came from a serpent. It came from a fallen angel. It came from the devil, the old serpent. And a life from beneath to which rebellion against God is entirely natural. Disobedience to God is entirely natural. That life entered into them. And that life brought death, slow death. It brought pain. It brought sweat. It brought grief. It brought suspicion. It brought distrust. It brought uh, agony. It brought 
pain to uh, childbearing. It brought distrust between persons. It was a beneath life, you see. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born from above. A life from above must come into you. That's one set of terms, what we could call the new birth. The new birth is the action of God the Father having conceived and he brings forth through his son. It's the action of God. It's not you going to the front in a meeting and giving your heart to Jesus. It's not. It is something that God does. When a child is birthed, the child has nothing to do with it. Can I put it that way? The church doesn't decide, now's the moment. The the child doesn't decide, well, I'll be born now. You know, there's something going on of, of God. Isn't that wonderful that God does that? But then there's another set of terms that the Lord uses in the scripture that he gives, say, to someone like You know, unless you become like a little child, you'll never enter the kingdom, the realm of God and his rule. Or another set of terms where he talks about, you know, he shall baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And another set of terms to do with initiation into a life, saturation in the spirit. You see, no one set of terms is sufficient. But for many of us, you know, what ideally should happen together becomes something that is piecemeal. We receive something and then two years later we receive a little more and a little more, if I can put it that way. So these different doctrines have developed. But if you and I can get it clear in our hearts that God joins us to himself, He who is joined to the Lord. And in my personal experience, it was March in 66 for me. And he, I knew I was joined to his body. I had his life in me. Or if I want to switch the terms to terms that Jesus used there in John 15. I was grafted into the vine and I immediately knew the sap of the Christ life coming up in me. It was experiential and I don't think I'm abnormal. Now, when I look at this verse here in chapter six, 
He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. It's in the context of, he says, he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her. Now, it's it's in the middle voice. In other words, it's this word. The First of all, the word joined is the word glued. Glued. Doesn't come very often in the New Testament. But uh, it's a wonderful word. He who is glued to a harlot. Something. One of the ways in which demonic influences are channeled through into people from one person to another is in illicit sexual contacts, especially intercourse. And it's not the only way. There are other ways, for instance, masonry, uh, where people, where a father becomes a mason and there are occult powers that work through into the father it is a kind of coven of witchcraft and that can even impact the mason's child children I know a family and I wish that I could have got near enough to them to say to the son of the sons, do you realize why you are like you are? It is because your father, you sons, your father was a very high up mason. Remarkable. We're not to play with these, you know, secret societies are always demonic. Even Christian societies that become hyper-exclusive, there is another spirit working. There's another spirit that has got in to make them exclusive and there is a, a joining into a body and they become a body of that spirit. They become a body of that belief system. They become, you understand the difference in this wonderful gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? You understand that there's no circle to that? Come into the circle. Come into the circle. There's nothing like that. Come and be initiated into the circle. No, no, no. It's the cross is the great symbol of the church, isn't it? Come unto me. Come and drink of my cup. Come sit at my table. Come unto me from east and west. Come unto me. All who are hungry, all who are thirsty, behold, come to me. I'm the place where that which is, uh, you know, the church, the cross has a vertical beam, doesn't it? An upright where heaven and earth meet. The church is like this. Christ in the center. 
Oh, I tell you, some of my experiences that on, uh, I just think, and I know there's a brother from Ireland. Uh, I so remember on, on the, um, on the Zoom here tonight. And one of his good friends, I wonder if this good friend even remembers this. But I was preaching in Dublin. I'll tell this story. And uh, I was preaching there one night and it was in a house, a lovely house. And it was an afternoon meeting and uh, I stood up to speak and I was in front of the big window. And the people said to me, will you, will, will you draw the curtains, the drapes? Um, will you draw them because it's hard to see you? So I threw out this remark and I said, well, yes, of course, as long as we all understand we're not a secret society. We're not like, for instance, spiritists or masons who get in and go through their initiations, their baptisms into their false body. And I just threw out that remark. And then at the end of the meeting, there was this American brother who was sitting on a table right at the back of the room. And I went to him and uh, he said to me, can I talk to you? And I said, of course. And so he said, Oh, Bernard, he said, I, something struck in my conscience because you said that those, even children, even children of Masons can be affected. And it's, it's like they live with a veil over their heads. You know, like those, uh, what do they call them? Lace curtains? What do you call them? Uh, that you can, uh, what, what do you call them? Net curtains that sometimes people have on their windows. So you're never seeing anything very clearly. And he said, you know, you describe me. I'm like that. I just look in the Bible. It's like looking through a net curtain. I look, I, I love God. I want God. But it's like looking at everything through a net curtain. And he said, I'm the son of a mason. And so... I said, come on, brother, let's pray. And we prayed there and then at the back of the room. Back of the room and uh, just a quick prayer, loosing him from him, the powers that come down through heredity, through natural heredity and what fathers pass on to sons. Because, you know, it shall no longer be said that the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Ezekiel 18. It shall no, that's in, no, it's not. I'm quoting Jeremiah, aren't I? But Ezekiel says the same thing. You know, it shall no longer be said. We, we've got to stand in that ground. What my father did, what my mother did, what, you know, so often, you know, the occult things carry through. I was talking to someone and I can't remember where it was. It's recently within the last month or two. And someone was talking to me about, and I said to them, 
Is it your grandmother? I said, the powers that you're describing that you have, they're not from the spirit of God. They're another spirit. I said, one of your, one of your relatives, maybe your grandmother or your mother, probably it was a lady I was talking to. She said, yes, how did you know? Your, it was my grandmother. She had many powers. And uh, so we prayed together. But, you know, these things, and I'll tell you a little more of that story, because that night uh, we went to bed uh, in a house in which we were staying in Dublin at that time, and there was a phone call about three o'clock in the morning. Will you come? Will you come? My husband has got my Christian books and Bibles and he's made a pile of them on the kitchen floor. And he's set light to them. He's absolutely beside himself with rage. He was in the meeting and he heard you mention masonry. I didn't even remember he'd been in the in in the in the meeting. He he wasn't a Christian. You might have thought he was. But this is what he did. This was his reaction. We went round. Of course. But you know, that father with his masonry, that secret society to which he had joined himself. That's my connection uh, in the reason I'm talking this way. It affected even the children. Now, I, I come back into uh, this sixth chapter and the construct is different here because he who joins himself to a harlot, he who glues himself to a harlot, he who is glued to the Lord. It's not referring to that first step. It's referring to the fact that the man or the woman continues to glue themselves, to stay glued to the Lord. Everyone got that? The tense is that way. He who glues himself to the Lord is one spirit, is one spirit. The maintaining of the one spirited state is vital. Keep glued to the Lord. Do you know, I don't know if this has ever happened to you or some of you who are in the ministry where someone uh, has come to you and been upset with you because, do you know, they say to you something like, well, you've changed toward me. You've changed toward me. You were so loving toward me. You gave me lots of time and, and now you don't. What, what's happened? And then, you know, if any of you know about this, you say to that person, my dear, I began to realize that you were getting glued to me. You mustn't get glued to me. 
I'm just a through person. You must get glued to the Lord. You mustn't let your roots just go down into a church or a fellowship. Uh, you mustn't let your roots go down there. You must get glued to me, to the Lord. That's that's the truth of it, isn't it? He who is glued to the Lord is one spirit. And, <clears throat> you know, this is what Paul is kind of talking about. You know, the Corinthians had gotten unglued. Can I put it that way? <laughs> From their side, they'd gotten unglued. Now, I'm actually sitting on a chair. Um, we have four chairs. They're made of teak, probably at least 50 years old. And um, my daughter and her husband, of course, were living in the house here for nine or 10 or 12 months, 11 months, was it? And during that time, the chairs became a bit unglued. <laughs> so if, if you picked them up, uh, one or two of them, you know, be put, behold, you found there was, what was it, six or seven pieces were unglued. And my daughter glued one of them before they left. And anyway, I did the rest. And I got some of this marvelous glue. You know, the glues they use nowadays are incredible. You know, the joining is stronger than the wood itself. <laughs> uh, they're so good. And, you know, it's tremendous to be... Oh, stay glued, Corinthians. <laughs> stay glued to the Lord. One spirit with him. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? That's what it says in the 19th verse. Don't you know you've got treasure in your church? Now, some of you listening, I know go to churches. I know Joan mentioned something last night about... You know, I don't know whether I want to go back to my church, she, she prayed. She's in Ottawa. And, uh, you know, well, I, I have to say, you, you, you must go among God's people, even if they hardly know that they're God's people. Mm. You must. I, I'm now thinking of a lady named Mary, who Hayden and I know, um, and uh, Mary's a divorced lady. She had a number of children. Very sad things happened in her life. But she goes along to a dead Anglican church. Um, it was really dead. And she small, but she's gradually been a beacon of light in that rather dreary place. That's the thing that she's gradually been. You know, she is in her body. She's a temple of the Holy Ghost. She's joined to the Lord. And there's something radiant about Mary. Because she keeps herself glued in the private to the Lord, if I can put it that way. 
And these are very wonderful and simple things, you see, but they are the actual problem in so many churches. We don't realize the treasure that's in our sack, the life that's in our sack. Uh, we, we begin to, do, do you know that, um, I'm thinking of a story of George Fox now. Uh, one of my favorites with George Fox, where he, in his journal, if you ever get the chance to read George Fox's journal, you know, and in the long edition, which is two volumes, you know, he mentions a time when he was walking in his leather breeches somewhere to preach, and he's sitting in a field someplace. And uh, he describes his experience in this field. And he says, as I sat there in the field, presently a dark cloud began to come over me. He's a very unusual man, by the way. Um, And uh, a dark cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud. He's not talking about some physical cloud. He's talking about a spiritual cloud coming over heart and mind. You know, and out of the cloud came a voice and it says, There is no God. There is no God. All of it is, well, there is no God. And Fox writes, and as I sat still under it, all he did, as I sat still under it, (laughs) he said, presently, a voice rose up from the deepest place in my inner man. And the voice rose and cried, there is a God, and he is love, and he is faithful, and he is true. And as the voice grew louder in me, the cloud, the darkness began to be driven away. And he finishes typical George Fox kind of language. And the glory of the Lord was over all. Now that's the experience of a man who knows that he's got treasure in his sack. <laughs> that he has, he's drinking the cup. He's a son of the right hand. You know that, that all of the resources are in him. That's what the church needs to learn afresh. That's what the church needs to learn, where the sap comes from that produces the leaves that heal and the fruit that becomes crushed to be crushed into the king's cup first. All the fruit of God in your life is like grapes that are crushed into the cup for the king first. It's the king 
our God who wants to drink the, the riches that come out of you and me and out of the church. Let the world drink it, it will, but first it's for the king. Do you remember the story of the, you know, again, we're back in Joseph, aren't we? And, uh, you know, the two, when he was in prison and the two people came, you remember the butler and the baker and, you know, their dreams and he interprets the dreams, does Joseph. And the baker's going to lose his head and the butler's going to be reinstated and he's going to crush the grapes again into the king's cup. Amen. Amen. You know, some of us have slipped away from the Lord and there was nothing in the cup for the king in our lives. And then he came to us and released us from our prison and we were reinstated in his presence and there was fruit again on the branch of our life because we were abiding in the vine again and the and the and the 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 blessed cup was filled again for the king am i making sense as i say these things i can't hear you but nod (laughs) but uh you know these these are simple and wonderful things oh church oh church you have treasure you have treasure you know I was thinking here when Paul gets into chapter 7 and chapter 8 of Corinthians, you know, he he unfolds the treasure. Paul was a treasure man. Mm. They've written to him with some serious problems, you know, about marriage. They, at least three questions. If you put your eye down in chapter 7. Verse 1, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. And then if you go down, verse 25, now concerning the virgins. You know, the betrothed. And then chapter 8, verse 1, now concerning things offered to idols three of their questions i love the fact that uh, they'd actually written to him (laughs) you know on the zoom last night among those who come on is a young man and he's at one of the prestigious universities in the united states i had the privilege of baptizing him uh, at uh, Siesta Key, wasn't it, darling, uh, in Florida. Um, we had a baptismal service on the beach in a terrible day in Florida and baptized him. And uh, he really loves the Lord. And um, what I love about him, he was on to me two days ago, maybe three quarters of an hour, He just is ready to ask questions. Now, concerning the things of which you wrote to me, that is unusual in younger people. 
to actually ask an old guy, you know, concerning, concerning. He wrote to me today and uh, he he's in a quandary because at the college, you know what he did in one of the Zoom meetings? He got <laughs> about 10 of his friends, people in the college, young men to come into his room. And they sat round the TV or whatever it was to listen to the Zoom. And he said to me, it broke my heart, he said, because one by one, within the first quarter of an hour, they all got up one by one and walked out. And he said, I find so few who are hungry and thirsty. This is a young man who's not being extreme. You know, but I love the Corinthians, the way that they actually ask Paul these questions. And Paul brings the treasure out of his sack. If you were to just read seven, I'm not going to go into detail with them because my time's gone already. Um, But if you were to go into detail, he deals with marital questions. He says, now the Lord says this, not me. Then he says on another question, now I think, I command, not, you know, I command, uh, I suggest, you know, some very lovely treasure he brings out that if you you know the wonderful heart of the pastoral man you say he's an apostle yes but an apostle is a pastor still you know and he says some lovely things you know of course I've been soaking in these chapters a lot the whole book for weeks and so again and but I was just enjoying him you know where You know, at the end of chapter six, he's just said to them something. This is a bit of treasure, isn't it? Hey, you're not your own. (laughs) You know, a simple thing like that. Hey, uh, you're not your own. You know, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Uh, You're not your own. Glorify God in your body. And some versions say, and in your spirit. Hey, you're not your own. I mean, get that one through our thick skulls and it would cure us a heap of problems. Wouldn't it? You know, you think of all the, my rights, you know, my rights, you know, and all the wokeness, as it's called, that's going on nowadays where, you know, the LBGTQ community are very special for they have the inside track on special knowledge because they are a separate um, uh, uh, entity of people and they've been given enlightenments that are straight people haven't got a clue about what a great deception all based on the importance of self hey 
You're not your own. Have you ever said that to a young man who's come to you to talk to you about the fact that he feels that he's homosexual? Do you get into the arguments about straightness and deviation and the Bible says, or do you start right at the bottom? Hey, young man, you're not your own. Who gave you your body? You've been bought with a price. Now glorify God in your body. Have you ever talked to young women who've come to you, oh, 15 years old, and they've said to you, we love one another. We, 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 we are, we are lesbian. Have you said to them, hold on, hold on. And you say you're Christians. That means you're bought with a price. You're not your own. Now glorify God in your body. Stop trying to please your what momentarily is passing into your life as so some kind of emotional, sentimental love position. See, this is where we've got to start. This is where we've got to come. Corinthians, you're not your own. You can't go around just pleasing yourself about food offered to idols. So Paul very kindly uh, gives them counsel about this, or those, of course, where he talks about uh, ladies who've got an unsaved husband. If he be pleased to live with you. I, I, I'm, I'm saying this, Paul says, it's not the Lord. This is not the Lord's word. The Lord's word is in verse 10 about remaining married. The Lord had spoken that. But in verse 12, where he talks about those who are married to someone unsaved, if he be pleased to live with you, don't leave him. Don't leave him. Don't you realize, and there is a, a whole beauty that's in verses 12 through verse 16 of chapter 7, where he talks about um, even a lady, I shouldn't say even a lady, a precious sister who's joined to the Lord, her house is not like other houses in the street. Her house has uh, an aura of sanctification. It's a holy place. It's a holy place. And praise God for this. It's a, a special place. And even the children, he says, if one of the people is the Lord's, well, of course, it's obvious. It should be obvious to you. You know, I told a story. Excuse me if if you were on last night, but I'll tell this one again of this precious lady who used to sit in the meetings in a certain place. A couple went out from our church in Exeter many years ago. His job, he was a teacher. They went to one of the classy schools 
And he taught there a boarding school for rich young men and women. And God began a move there, and I used to visit there frequently. And through the years, I observed a lady there. She would pray sometimes in the meeting. She would prophesy sometimes in the meeting. And I listened to her, and I could hear God. There was a meekness and a sweetness about her spirit. It was lovely. It was lovely. And uh, I used to play a lot of squash. And uh, she said, I hear you play squash. Would you play with my husband? So I said, yes, if, if it can be arranged when I'm visiting next, I'll play. So we played squash and it turns out he was a policeman. He was a pretty tough guy. Never came to a meeting, but was pleased to live with her, raising their children, one of whom is a pastor's wife now, by the way. And (laughs) I turned up one year, and there he was in the meeting. And he said to me, do you want to play squash? I said, of course, let's do that. We arranged it. And I sat there after we played and I said to him, well, tell me what happened. And he said, I could no longer resist her testimony. Fifteen long years I saw her and I saw that I couldn't resist it anymore. I had to, I had to cave in. I had to give myself to the Lord, (laughs) and uh, I did, and by the way, that couple went to China, I think they were in China at least 10 or 15 years, but tremendous, you see, that lady in her house, and her daughter, by the way, who we know very well, and her husband, you know, delightful spirited person sanctified this is the kind of beautiful talk and when people are glued to the lord and stay glued in adverse circumstances and uh, receive the sap of that comes up from the jesus the vine planted in the father and receiving all the life up Amen, and uh, coming out into the branches, you know, to drink of his cup, you know. And Paul, is he's going to carry on some lovely things, he says there. He says, don't don't worry, this is in the middle of chapter 7, where he says, as each, as the Lord has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one. So let him walk. You know, if you're called as circumcised or uncircumcised, which isn't very relevant to us today, you know, but stay, remain in your calling. Stay glued to the Lord. Stay glued to the Lord. No matter what your calling is. Hallelujah. Are you getting the, you're the Lord's servant. (laughs) (laughs) You're bought with a price. 
glorify God. Can you see how different the household of faith is to the to this world? Go on, get better, get the career, climb over everybody, enjoy yourself. When you you're drinking of this cup of the Lord, there is a contentment and a joy that uh, will deepen and get better as you go along. For sure, for sure, for sure. Anyone say amen? Anyone put their hand up and say, amen, gets better. (laughs) That's right. It's great. It's great. So Paul says, well, you know, stop getting in the rat race. If he was around today, that's the kind of language he'd use. If you're called as a slave, abide there. But if the opportunity comes for you to become free, then do so for the Lord's sake. Brethren, verse 24, let each one remain with God. In that state in which he was called, you know, you know, the state in that sphere, that where you were, if you're called, can you not see, do you know, isn't it horrible on the media where you're getting all this talk about, you know, in this country now, they're wanting to give breakfast and lunch meal. To all the children in the schools. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? Let's lavish. But no one talks about why is it that mothers are not giving their children breakfasts? And why have mothers... Uh, who are not married, got five children, who they can't take. And so it goes on and on. No one gets back to the moral issues that are the causes of these things. So let aunt government look after it all and so on and so on. You know, whereas this church of Jesus Christ is so different. That's the thing I'm trying to say. She has a secret store she feeds on. She has a treasure. Yes, she may just look like an old sack. Amen. <laughs> well, do you sometimes think of that? Of course, and this is one of the things I feel rather sad about that sometimes the churches spend too much time trying to turn their sack into princely garments (laughs) Mm. so that the world looks at her at the glitter. Oh, brothers and sisters, you know. And Paul goes on, I'm going to have to stop. It's um, nearly half past and I should stop. So I will discipline myself before I get to chapter 8 and uh, go no further but just just feed there on the delightful words of a man who's staying glued to god you know that's that's the thing just just read on there and see how he is so tender 
And it's those little words that he he says, I, I love the way he ends chapter seven. He says, um, she, she's happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think I also have the spirit of God. Uh, don't you love that? I think I also have the spirit of God. You know, he's just, he's aware of his treasure. George Fox was aware of his treasure. He knew that the seed Christ was in him. And when the cloud came over him, he knew for sure that the the Lord was going to rise up in him. And of course, that's the way they used to meet in those days, those Quaker people. They used to gather in the full expectation that they brought the treasure with them, the cup was in them, and that the Lord would rise up and unto edification, encouragement of one another. All this will have a bearing on what we'll talk about in a few weeks' time about gatherings and meetings and all the rest of those wonderful things. Oh, well, I've said enough for tonight. Um, I hope that's all right, Mark. Um, I'm, uh, I could easily go on for another two hours, but I won't. <laughs> These are just wonderful things for me to say to you. And, um, yeah, wonderful. Amen. It is good, isn't it? Amen. Yeah. Yeah, it is.